Okay, hello everyone. Welcome back to a public Chaburah Tonight we have the privilege to have for the first time Rabbi Daniel Buskila. Uh, tonight we'll be exploring perspectives from Rav Benzion Uziel on Hanukkah, its significance for the State of Israel, and his historical addresses to IDF soldiers in 1948. Uh, Rabbi Daniel Buskila is the director of the Sephardic Educational Center, an international organization based at its historic campus in the old city of Jerusalem, dedicated to teaching classic Sephardic Judaism. He has been in Israel from the outbreak of this war and will be delivering his shiur from there. He holds a BA from UCLA, Samicha from Yeshiva University, and is a veteran of the IDF's Givati Brigade. On Chabura News, this past week we launched a new book and our winter edition of our journal, Principles. Our book, Letters on Kabbalah, is edited and introduced by J.J. Kimchi, and presents a compilation of letters translated into English, penned by four eminent Jewish leaders, Rabbi Avraham Yitzchakuk, Rabbi Yichia Kafech, Rabbi Eliyahu ben Amozeg, and Shadal, all surrounding the authenticity of the Zohar and the role of Kabbalah in Jewish thought and practice. You can access our journal and find links to purchase our book at the Chabura website at thechabura.com. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you so much, everyone, who's going to be listening afterwards. And Rabbi, it's so nice to have you. The floor is yours. Thank you so, so much. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here. I've uh, always followed um, with such excitement and uh, enthusiasm the wonderful work of the Chabura. And uh, it's an honor to be part to be part of uh, to become connected uh, to this wonderful uh, movement organization that's uh, reviving the message of um, our Chachamim, of our classic Sephardic Chachamim, and spreading that good word uh, to the whole world, to the whole Jewish world. And uh, this is what the Sephardic Educational Center in Jerusalem is dedicated to from the beginning, from its founding in 1980, uh, all the way to these days. And it's not often that one gets the opportunity to deliver a message uh, and a shiur uh, in Torah that is so alive and relevant. And uh, tonight I have the privilege of doing that for all of you um, from Israel uh, in the midst of a situation which I don't need to describe because I trust you're all following. Um, as uh, as was mentioned earlier, I've been here from actually before the outbreak of the war. My wife and I came here to uh, spend Sukkot with our son uh, and his wife, uh, they are newly married. They got married uh, last February here in Israel. Uh, it was a great celebration. Um, they are both, uh, you know, in my mind, they're still young kids uh, who just got married. Um, and they're adult kids who have now been through, thank you, who have now uh, been through, um, unfortunately, have been through a war under these circumstances. We came here to celebrate them with them for a few weeks, uh, Sukkot. And then afterwards to be with them a little bit before they resume school. Ilan, they live in Herzliya, which is where I'm uh, speaking to you from. Uh, Ilan, uh, our son, is a first year. He's going into a second year of law school at uh, Reichman University. Uh, IDC is in the Israeli program. He's studying law and government. And uh, his wife, Kayla, who just finished her military service days before they got married, um, is was scheduled to start her first year at Barilan University. Ilan was in the military. He was also in the same Givatian Brigade that his father served in a long time ago. Um, and uh, but he had since been released from the army. Finished his compulsory service and uh, was working during COVID, and then uh, started school. Uh, but on October seventh, as we know, everything changed. We were in Jerusalem for that Shabbat. And uh, by Saturday night, uh, Kayla, Ilan's wife, uh, was drafted to Miluim. She was in a, she's in a search and rescue unit um, of the Home Front Command. She was drafted to go up north. And then just uh, two days later on Monday, Ilan was called up uh, to his unit in the south. Uh, as you know, there was a period of time when they were training before they went into the actual ground war in Gaza. And... Um, they, Elon was in for the first three weeks of the war uh, in Gaza City. He's in an infantry unit, so he was uh, kind of front and center in all the action. Um, thankfully, no one in his unit was injured or anything else. And uh, they were, um, his platoon who worked very, 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 very hard uh, was switched out the day before the ceasefire. 
So he has been home since the day before the ceasefire. There was then the ceasefire. And um, then the new platoon went back in. We don't know if and when he's going to be called back. For now, he's not back. So he was there for six weeks, three weeks of intense training, three weeks of actually being uh, in the war, in the first stage of the war in Gaza with uh, his unit operates special missiles and drones and all sorts of videos and images that you've seen on CNN or anywhere else in the world of Hamas terrorists from hospitals and so on. His unit actually was able to take with drones a lot of those photos, in addition to being caught in gun battles and house-to-house combat and all the other things that they were doing. Uh, and thankfully, like I said, thank God they're all okay. Um, his wife was also... Um, got a few weeks off. She actually went back up north today to Miluim. As far as Elon is concerned, uh, it's kind of like a wait and see. So we don't know, but uh, we pray that all will be okay. So that's the context that my wife and I are here. We were scheduled to go back. I don't even know what date, but uh, we've been here since. Um, and we just kind of feel that it's very difficult to leave under these circumstances with our son and daughter-in-law involved front and center in this whole situation. And we've been thankfully able to do, um, in addition to being here as parents, also as the representative of the Spartak Educational Center, uh, we opened, um, we've had an Israel Emergency Relief Fund, uh, which has raised some very, very nice funds, and we've been able to do a lot of direct charity work. So people have asked us how we've spent our time. It's just been volunteering on a day-to-day -day basis, going from base to base, from civilian installation to other civilian installations. Our campus in the old city of Jerusalem housed people who were evacuated from their homes from the north and from the south. So we've been blessed under these very difficult um, circumstances to be part of what I consider to be arguably the greatest output of charity that I've ever seen any society involved with ever at any time that I've ever heard of. This has been an un, uh, unprecedented outpouring of love, of charity, and of unity. And uh, when I say unity, that uh, touches a special um place in the heart of the rabbi who I'm going to speak about tonight, Rabbi Uziel, because there is nothing that characterized the career of Rabbi Uziel from his very, very first Neum Haftara, from his first inaugural speech as the Chacham Bashi of Yafo Tel Aviv in 1911, uh, all the way to his uh, two weeks before his passing when he composed what became his spiritual will. To the Jewish people from, from 1911 till his passing in 1953, the line that follows his entire career was Achdut Am Israel. Achdut meaning the unity of the Jewish people. He believed in that not only as a slogan, but as a way of life. And he actually, I think, was many years ahead of his time in trying to not only blend Jews and to say Sfaradim should marry Ashkenazim, but to actually blend halacha and to create, I believe when you read his Mishpate Uziel, his masterpiece work, a nine-volume work of halacha, of response of Shelot to Chubot, I don't think he, he was certainly writing as a Sephardic rabbi. He was certainly writing in the spirit of his Sephardic ancestors and his Sephardic learning, but I think the audience he felt he was writing for was for Eretz Israel. He was creating a halacha that was almost something new, a halacha that blended the best of Sfarad and the best of Ashkenaz to create a halacha Eretz Israelit, where he said, we're now back from the diaspora. There's no need for these divisions any longer. Let's be at one. And it was controversial, that position. It was, you know, he was way ahead of his time. Uh, one of his primary students and colleagues, who we all know, Rabbi Yosef has always said, if you if you ask Rabbi Yosef, who's the rabbi, who's your role model, it was Rabbi Uziel. But Rabbi Yosef disagreed with the position of Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, you know, blending Sephardic halacha with Ashkenazi halacha. I felt it was more an act of compromise. There was a whole very interesting. I'd be happy to 
speak about it at some other time. There's a fascinating exchange that ended up taking place later on when he responded. Rabbi Uziel said, I don't agree with canceling Sephardic Minagim in the same name of unity. They lived at different periods of time. It's important to understand about Uziel died in 1953. The state of Israel was five years old. Uh, it was just at you know the dawn of like bringing in a lot of immigrants from Arab lands. Rabbi Ovadi Yosef inherited that. He inherited a different sociology than living like Rabbi Uziel did in the formative periods of Zionism. And he was front and center in the Zionist movement. Uh, he is, I've mentioned this many, many times, the only rabbi, Sephardi or Ashkenazi, who can boast that he, I mean, I don't mean boast in that sense, but who can list on his CV that he was a chief rabbi under three political administrations in this land. He was the Chacham Bashi of Yafo Tel Aviv from 1911. That was when this land was called Ottoman Palestine, right? Then he became the chief rabbi of Eretz Israel when he became the Rav Harashi, the actual chief rabbi of the whole country. In 1939, it was British mandatory Palestine. And in 1948, he was there with Rabbi Herzog when they declared Midinat Yisrael, when Ben-Gurion declared the state of Israel on the 5th of Iyar, Tafshin Chet, May 14th, 1948, when it became Midinat Yisrael. So think about somebody who was an incredible Tamit Chacham who could also teach us a thing or two about politics, about dealing with political leadership and administration. I mean, you're, you're talking about going from the Ottoman Empire, which had been here for some 400 years, to then the British Mandate with the all of it's you know going from the Balfour Declaration to then the White Paper to then the uh, ban on uh, Jewish immigration and then ultimately being here to witness history the rise of the state of Israel. Rabbi Uziel was not only a Talmud Chacham, a Sephardic chief rabbi, but he was also uh, a rabbi who was involved in every single step of the way of the founding of Israel found the rise of Zionism. It was very, very much part of him. What I call him in today's terms, a rabbi of the religious Zionist world. Let me put it this way. Was he religious? Yes. Was he a Zionist? Absolutely. Was he part of what you would call today the religious Zionist world politically? Not exactly. Um, he, he had a very unique stance. Um, and when I say the religious Zionist world, um, that religious Zionist world's real, you know, founding father was the other rabbi that was in Yafo during uh, Rabbi Uziel's term that he worked together with. You've all heard of Rav Kook. Rabbi Uziel and Rav Kook worked together. They were together. They didn't agree on many, many issues. And what was really interesting is that Rabbi Uziel was not only born in Eretz Israel to multiple generations here in the old city of Jerusalem, but he was a born Zionist by his nature, by his upbringing, the environment that he was raised in, the parents, the community, the yeshiva that he studied, everything breathed Eretz Israel, Zionism, the Jewish people living in the land, and supporting Herzl's Zionism, supporting the secular Zionism, with, not with dis, without disagreements, but supporting it all the way through, supporting the establishment of the IDF, which I'll speak about momentarily connected to Hanukkah, supporting all of this and blending halacha with all of that. It's important to keep in mind that Rav Kook, who ironically now is known as the quintessential Zionist rabbi, was not born into all of this. He was an immigrant to Zionism physically by coming from, he was born originally in Europe and migrated to at the time what was called Palestine, Eretz Israel, pre-state of Israel. He died in 1936, so he never lived to see the uh, declaration of Medinat Israel, but he was here during that period of time. But he was also an immigrant ideologically. He was not born a Zionist, Rav Kook. He was not trained in his educational world a Zionist. Quite the contrary, he was part of yeshivot that were anti-Zionist, that were against the 
secular movement for the establishment of a national Jewish homeland here in this land. And so it took a learning curve for Rav Kook to suddenly make that switch, and that's what made him so unique. But Rabbi Uziel, he was, there's a very, there's a book, I can't remember who the name of the scholar is here in Israel, who wrote a book about the Sephardic community in Ottoman Palestine, not only the rabbis, but the community itself. And the title of the book is Noladetem Tzionim. You were born Zionists. You were born into this. This was the Hashkafat Olam. It was the worldview to support this march. And it, there wasn't this conflict of, they're not religious, they're secular, and so on. They were all part of supporting that idea. The whole religious question of messianism, you wait for the Mashiach, that was an interesting discussion that was not new to Rabbi Uziel or to Rav Kook. Maimonides already dealt with this. We could have a whole different discussion about how the Rambam felt about this. Now, that's my segue into Hanukkah and the Rambam. I'm going to begin with the Rambam with Maimonides, before I go to Rabbi Uziel, because I believe that Rabbi Uziel's entire worldview about Hanukkah, Halakha, and the state of Israel and the IDF is informed by the Rambam, Maimonides. And here's what I mean. If I ask any of you from childhood till today, what are we celebrating on Hanukkah when we make the blessing, not the first one, Hadlik Ner, but the second blessing that we make, about the miracle, and we say, Every night we make two blessings. The first night we make a third, but every other night we make the blessing of lighting, and then the blessing when we are not uh, uh, performing a mitzvah. It's not a shekhi but it's a bracha where we uh, recognize that there was a miracle. Number one. Number two, on this holiday, uniquely, we have a lot of holidays where we celebrate miracles. Pesach, we celebrate the miracle of the red crossing of the sea, being saved, the Geulah, Purim, the whole miracle of Purim. But here on this holiday, we have a unique mitzvah that's called the Falsemetanes, in Aramaic, Pirsumadenisa, right? Where we are supposed to, according to Halakha, publicize the miracle. That means that there are several sections in the Talmud and the Shulchan Aruch that discuss the placement of your Chanukiah, your candelabra, the menorah for Chanukah that we light, where to place it so that we fulfill this commandment. If you live in a place where you're able to place the Chanukiah in a window, in a doorpost, somewhere where the community will see it, it's not just a beautiful Hanukkah decoration. It is a mitzvah. It's a fulfillment of a mitzvah, which means, and, and I'll come to this with Rabbi Uziel, when we come to the public square, and I know this year, unfortunately, I've heard so many stories of the cancellation of the public lighting of the Hanukkah because of anti-Semitism, the war, fear, whatever reasons or motives behind uh, the various communities in the United States and, and uh, Europe not holding the traditional menorah lighting. A lot of people have this impression. They say, well, Chabad or others, they come and they light the menorah in public to counterbalance the fact that there is, you know, the public Christmas tree lighting. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. It's been a mitzvah for 2,500 years. The Farsemitanes to publicize this miracle the menorah, as we say, when we light it, the lights are not to be used to read, right? Why are, uh, why are Jews so very bright sometimes in terms of our legal loopholes? Because you come to the eighth night of Hanukkah and you have eight beautiful lights shining, right? And you say, wow, I want to, you know, have a candlelight dinner to that. You're not allowed to, according to Halakha. I want to read to those lights. It's very inspirational. I want to sit and study Torah to the light of the Hanukkah. There's eight lights. You're not supposed to. Why? We derive no benefit from these lamps except to display them. They tell the story. They publicize the miracle. 
Now, how what happens if we happen to turn the lights off and we say here we're using the lights of the menorah? No, we're not. We're only using one of them. You know, there's that ninth one that we put on there. There's a there's a misconception that some people have that that one is used to light the others. Maybe in the modern sense when we're using wax candles, but when you're using oils, you don't use that one to light the others. You light the eight, and then you light the shamash, the ninth. You don't make a blessing over there. What's that one there for? It's the one that we're really using. That's the one you're allowed to use, right? In case for some reason you turn the lights out, you're not allowed to use the other eight. You're only really meaning if I have the full menorah in front of me at the table and I'm reading, I'm really only reading from one of them. That's what we're essentially saying. It's, uh, you know... It's one of the brilliant loopholes that we have. That's the origin of the shamash. It's not the one that lights the others. Okay. That means that the Hanukkiah is to publicize miracle. The question that I want to ask, in the spirit of uh, the Rambam, and then getting to Rabbi Uziel, both halachically and to the IDF, is what miracle are we publicizing? If I ask any of you from childhood, you're going to say, once upon a time, after the war was over, they entered the temple, they wanted to light the lamps, they found only one jug that had enough oil for one day with the stamp of the Kohen Gadol, it was untampered, they opened it up, they lit from it, and a miracle happened, and it lasted eight days. Okay, Immediately, one of the brilliant Sephardic Chachamim, the Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, asked the question, he said, if there was enough oil to last one day, then Hanukkah should only be seven days. So it was enough to last one day. There was no miracle on that day. So then became all sorts of different discussions. The miracle was finding it. The miracle was the fact that it was untampered, uh, all sorts of things, various discussions, meaning why is Hanukkah eight days if the first day was not a miracle, there was enough to last one day. Somebody, even one of the sources, even went to the extent to say, no, 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 the, the manuscript of the Talmud was faulty. It should really read, there wasn't even enough to last one day, and there were eight days. Now it makes works. Okay. Come the Rambam, Maimonides, and he says, hold on, hold on. Let me retell you the story of Hanukkah. Rambam is the only one uniquely to the Maimonidean style and Maimonidean voice. He is the only one who tells the following story of Hanukkah. Now, where does he tell it? Not in a history book. He never wrote a history book. The Rambam was a blend of philosophy and halakha. His classic works of philosophy, you know about the Moran Nebuchim, the God for the Perplexed, medical books and so on. But what's his magnum opus, his greatest work? is the Mishneh Torah. The Mishneh Torah is the codification of the Halakha in its entirety. And in the Mishneh Torah, in the Halachot of Hanukkah, there he blends the story of Hanukkah, the miracle of Hanukkah, and the Halachot of how to light the menorah. Let me read it to you. Because this is the Halakha that Rabbi Uziel was inspired by in order to make his statements hundreds of years after Maimonides wrote this. The Rambam begins. He assumes you know nothing. You've never heard. Now, by the way, the story of Hanukkah with the oil lasting eight days, where is that found? It's found in the Talmud. The Talmud, what tractate of the Talmud? There is no tractate. There is no Masechet Hanukkah, interestingly. There's a Masechet, there's a tractate, a section of the Talmud, of the Mishnah and the Gemara, that discusses Shabbat, that discusses Purim, Masechet Megillah, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, not Hanukkah. Hanukkah is mentioned in the Mishnah a total of five times, never as a primary discussion, just like Derech Agav, meaning the Mishnah knew what it was, but for some reason, there is no tractate. There's all sorts of theories of why not important to us right now. So where do we find the whole discussion about how to actually light the lamps? The fact that we light one on the first night and we go up, increase versus, that was Hillel's opinion, Shammai said we go eight to one, 
the fact that you light one per household or one per each member of the household, one whole dispute, where is that found? Chapter 2 of Tractate Shabbat. Why? Because tra- Chapter 2 of Tractate Shabbat, Masechet Shabbat, is a famous tractate that discusses what are the best lamps, oils, and wicks to use to kindle Shabbat lights. We read it every Friday night. There, in that discussion, they say, since we're discussing oils, wicks, and lamps, let's have a talk about other oils, wicks, and lamps, the Hanukkah ones. And there the whole discussion emerges. And within that discussion comes the story, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? On the 25th of Kislev, they went in and found a jug of oil that lasted miraculously eight days. Meaning the one and only location of that story is in the tractate uh, Shabbat, the Babylonian Talmud. It's not in the Mishnah. It's not in the writings of Josephus. It's not even in the books that are called the Book of Maccabees. It's not there either. But it's in the Talmud, and the Talmud is our authoritative work of halakha, of Judaism. And this is the story we went with as the miracle. It does mention there in the story that the Hasmonean dynasty, nicknamed the Maccabim, the Maccabees, that they had a military victory. But they said the victor, the, the miracle is the oil lasting eight days. Comes the Rambam and says, hold on, let me tell you the story of Hanukkah. It's almost like the Rambam, if you want to imagine him, he's like saying, children, adults, gather around my table. I want to tell you the story of Hanukkah. Actually, I want to retell you the story of Hanukkah. And I want to tell you really what miracle we're celebrating. Listen carefully and think about, as I'm reading this, think about May 14th, 1948. Maimonides says, I'm going to read in English, for I see a lot of people maybe know Hebrew, English. I'll read some in Hebrew, some in English. He talks. He starts with history. In the era of the Second Temple, the Greek kingdom issued decrees against the Jewish people. This is the background, the persecution. Attempting to nullify their faith and refusing to allow them to observe the Torah and its commandments. They extended their hands against their property and their daughters. Sounds a little like October 7th. They entered the sanctuary, wrought havoc within, and made all of the vessels impure. That's the background. The Jews suffered great difficulties from this persecution, for they oppressed them greatly. Until God the God of our ancestors, had mercy upon his people, delivered them from their hand, saved them. The sons of the Hasmoneans, the high priests, B'nei Chashmonai, overcame them, slew them, and saved the Jews from their hands, meaning who were the sons of the Hasmoneans? Matityahu and his sons, Yehuda and Shimon and so on. They banded together, fought the Greeks, and overcame them. We say this in the paragraph that we read every morning, afternoon, evening, Allah Nisim, right? That the few, the many were put into the hands of the few. Who were the few? The sons of the Hashmonaim, the high priest, Matityahu. Then listen carefully. Maimonides says, what happened afterwards? He doesn't say they went in and found a jug of oil. What's the next thing they did? They were victorious in a military victory. They then appointed a king from the high priests and sovereignty returned to Israel for more than 200 years until the destruction of the second temple. Right? He says, Sovereignty returned to Israel. What is Hanukkah called in modern Hebrew terms? Somebody tell me. It's two words. Anyone? Yom HaTzma'ut. Yom HaTzma'ut. The Rambam says, what are we celebrating on Hanukkah? That sovereignty returned to Israel. A. B. What's the miracle of Hanukkah? He goes on. And he says, and when the Jews overcame their enemies... 
and destroyed them, they entered the sanctuary. This was on the 25th of Kislev. They could not find any pure oil in the sanctuary with the exception of a single cruise. Listen carefully how he words it. It's tricky. He says, it contained enough oil to burn merely for one day. The Talmud says, a miracle happened and they lit for eight days. In the Rambam, it doesn't say a miracle happened. He simply says, it contained enough oil to burn for merely one day. They lit the lights from it for eight days. Which means, according to the Rambam, they were able to ration the oil for eight days until they could crush olives and produce pure oil. Meaning, what was the eight day? It was get the oil presses working. We needed time for more oil. Accordingly, the sages of that generation ordained that these eight days, which began with the 25th of Zislev, should be commemorated to be days of happiness and praise. Candles should be lit in the evening at the entrance to the houses on each and every one of these nights to publicize and reveal the miracle. The miracle of what? He didn't say it was the miracle. According to most interpreters of the Rambam, what is he talking about? The miracle? Not the oil lasting eight days but the military victory of the few defeating the many and the return of sovereignty to the Jewish people. To the Rambam, Hanukkah is a celebration of Jewish sovereignty. Fast forward now to Rabbi Uziel. Rabbi Uziel, who I gave you his background, born in the old city of Jerusalem. He actually studied in the yeshiva, in the Talmud Torah Faradi, which today is the building where I work in Jerusalem, the Sephardic Educational Center. That's where Rabbi Uziel was as a child, studied in the Talmud Torah. Then that's on the ground floor of our old courtyard building. On the second floor of that building, there was a yeshiva, Yeshiva Tiferet Yerushalayim. This was the Sephardic yeshiva in the old city predating Porat Yosef. There Rabbi Uziel studied Talmud, Halakha, and became musmach, became ordained as a rabbi, and then went out to his great career in Yafo and Tel Aviv, ultimately back in Jerusalem as the chief rabbi, all the way to the end of his life. And Rabbi Uziel, when he was part of the Zionist world and the Zionist movement, he was thinking all along about the Rambam. The Rambam said, what are we celebrating? On Hanukkah, Chazram al-Chut what miracle are we publicizing? The miracle that we were victorious and were able to defeat our enemies and establish an independent Jewish state. Rambam does not mention. He mentions that we found a cruise of oil. There was enough to light a day. We lit from it from eight days until we could make new oil. He never says, Nasabon, there was a miracle and it lasted eight days. So when he says, now we place the menorah in order to publicize the miracle, the What miracle is he talking about? The same miracle Rabbi Uziel was talking about. Why? Rabbi Uziel was asked the question, is it permitted to use, I know that this is a big, big discussion now with Shabbat, it was a discussion on Pesach during Corona, COVID, Zoom on the Seder, and all this other discussion that we had. The whole question of the use of electricity. Electricity on Shabbat, electricity on holidays, etc. Now here we're not talking about Shabbat, we're talking about a simple question. Are you allowed to use electric lamps as your Shabbat candles? The answer is yes, you are. Why? Although it doesn't seem like your traditional, you know, Saba and Safta's candlesticks, okay? What's the purpose of Shabbat candles? Why do we light Shabbat candles? It's not to make blessings to our children and all that. Those are all beautiful customs. The origin of lighting Shabbat candles, why does that second chapter discuss what's the best wick and oil to use? Because they want to make sure that when you light Shabbat candles, you're going to use the best possible wicks and oils so that you don't go into Shabbat in darkness. Because it's unsettling when there's a blackout in your house. You don't want to live in Shabbat. You're not allowed to kindle flames on Shabbat. So we ordain that we light before and that it should last into Shabbat. Why? Because as opposed to the Hanukkah lamps, when I said you're not allowed to read from them, 
These are your lights. Maybe today they don't seem that way to you because now our question of Bamemadlikin is should I use LED? Should I use halogen? Should I, you know, those are our questions. Back in the day, those were the lamps. So the halacha was not what's considered to be the purest light according to purity or holiness of Kedusha. It's really what's Bamemadlikin means what's the best way to light Shabbat candles? So it lasts. The Talmud already said, you can't apply that logic to the Hanukkah lights because the halacha ultimately developed that as opposed to the Shabbat lights, which are there for light, they don't tell any story. They're there for practical purposes. Again, today doesn't seem that way to you because you have all these other lights in your home. The Shabbat lights were there for light for a long time until we came with modern electricity or kerosene lamps or whatever we were using. The Hanukkah lights are not there for light. They're there to tell a story. Just like on Pesach, we take the matzah and we lift and we say, matzah, zush, anu, aflim, it's supposed to tell a story. The Hanukkah lights tell a story. Therefore, en lanu reshut lishtamesh bahem. We have no, we have, we're, we're, it's not permitted to use them. They're only there to display so the question already back before we talk about can you use electricity to light a menorah? Back in the day, the Talmud says there is no discussion of bamemadlikin, these wide variety of oils and wicks. We use olive oil. Why? Because the original jug that they lick from was olive oil. The miracle, if you will, of the oil happened with not various oils and wicks, but it happened with olive oil, shemen zayit. Now comes Rabbi Uziel, is asked the question, can you make the bracha lahadlik ner Hanukkah on electric lamps? And he said, no. Why? He had a whole long discussion. Hadlaka, he doesn't consider that hadlaka. It's not lahadlik. He did not consider turning on those bulbs, as beautiful as they may look, okay? There was a rabbi who disagreed with him, Sephardic Chacham, Rabbi Yosef Masas, disagreed. He said, not only do I think that you can, you should. It's better than uh, oil. He says, the electricity bulbs are the olive oil of our day. It was the purest oil back in the... Why did they use that in the temple? Because it was the best oil possible. It produced the nicest light. You're not going to say that candles or olive oil of today look produce better light than the lamps we have. And he wrote this, you know, a long time ago, and not with the kind of things we have. So Rabbi Masas said, not only that, he says, if you think I'm just kidding, I believe that when the Bet HaMikdash will be rebuilt, the third temple will be rebuilt, the menorah that will stand in the temple will be electric. How can it be anything otherwise? How could we say that we're going to build the temple in all of its glory, and we're going to go back to some kind of like light that's flickering? It may look very beautiful and emotional to you, but I think that is the olive oil of our day. He was very, his ideas were fascinating. It's a great shiur. Rabbi Uziel disagreed. He said, no, it's not lahadlik ner. You can't fulfill the mitzvah with electric. Now, I was just in Tel Aviv last night, and I walked around Tel Aviv, and everywhere in Tel Aviv, I was in Kikar Habima, these beautiful areas where the theater, you know, like the Broadway of uh, of Tel Aviv is, etc. And what do you see there? Big, beautiful Hanukkiot in the public square. Rabbi Uziel describes in his, remember, he died in 1953, so he was not around a long time for Medinat Israel, the state of Israel. But he's around long enough that the custom developed in Tel Aviv. Remember, this was the early 1950s. Tel Aviv and not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a smaller city, divided city. Tel Aviv was the center of Israel, the center of the Israeli universe. Rabbi Uziel talks about the fact that they had in what was probably like the equivalent of Dizengoff Square today, where the water fountain is, they had the public lighting of a menorah every night. It was every single night they came. And he said, we cannot use, for those who have not lit, if they were out at night and they come to this lighting, 
does this lighting of this one, suddenly we turn the bulbs and that big, beautiful menorah shines bright in Tel Aviv. Is that your menorah lighting, your Hanukkah lighting for Hanukkah? Halachically, no. He says, however, one can argue that you can make the blessing the second blessing about the miracle on that. He says, it's better not to because, you know, they weren't you, the transition at the time. It was a little bit too hard. He says, one can, meaning one can rely on the idea. He says this in a chuba about the use of an electric menorah. One can rely on that. Now he says, why? It's not because it's a lesser mitzvah. It's not because it's a lesser bracha. It's the bracha that's central to the whole experience of Hanukkah. The farsemetanes. And he says, now that we are able to publicize the miracle, this bracha shasani simla avotenu really means something. Now, what did he mean? That there were That there was only electricity in the bulb to last one day and it lasted eight days? No, that's not what he meant. What he's talking about is what happened in 1948. He says, when we come to the public square in Tel Aviv and we're publicizing the miracle, what miracle? May 14th, 1948, the 5th of Iyar, Tafshin establishment of the state of Israel. Exactly what the Rambam said 800 years earlier, Rabbi Uziel says this, and says to all of us that this public lighting of the menorah in the public square in Tel Aviv is a fulfillment. Whether you make the bracha, there he makes the nuance and says, one can argue that you could say the full bracha b'shem u'malchut, baruch atah Hashem, shasani sim l'avotenu, or some would say, just say, baruch shasani sim l'avotenu, without shem u'malchut. Remember, this is the same Rabbi Uziel who his students tell the story that forget May 14th, 1948 for a moment, back up to November 29th, 1947, the night that the United Nations issued the vote, the partition plan for the establishment of the state of Israel. Rabbi Uziel, with his students, gathered his students, went home, had a su'udat mitzvah, a meal, like a, a festive meal. And his students say that they witnessed their rabbi, b'shem umalchut, the full blessing with God's name, baruch atah Hashem, Eloheinu melech olam, shechianu v'kimanu v'gianu l'azman that night. He made the bracha shechianu after 2,000 years of diaspora. Look, the nations of the world have recognized establishment of Israel, even on partial Eretz Yisrael, not the full land, even that was an occasion to say Shechianu. Rabbi Uziel, this was Pirsuma Denisa, the Farsem Etanes, to publicize the miracle. Now for Rabbi Uziel, this moment of the publication, of the publicizing of the miracle was significant because of an experience he had. And I want to read to you as I'm wrapping up uh, this discussion, I want to read to you pieces of a very special address that he gave. It's very moving for me personally to give this, to, to, to have translated this years ago, but now to read it to you here tonight in this context on Hanukkah from Israel during this war. Because think about for a moment how many wars Israel has fought from 1948, even before 48 how many different incidents and events there were leading up all the way to what we've been experiencing here in the last two months. And sometimes you wonder when we look back at our Chachamim and the great Psak Halacha that they gave, the, 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 the forward-thinking rulings and Halacha, but it balanced with that also the magnificent Hashkafa the magnificent uh, philosophy or way of seeing, which made them real leaders. They understood the law, understood the time, the circumstances, the nuances of halacha. They were brilliant geniuses in halachic teachings and also understood 
the 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 force majeure of the time for Rabbi Uziel, somebody who was born in this land under the Ottoman Empire and became the chief rabbi, not under state of Israel, but under the British mandate, and then lived to see the establishment of the state of Israel, the declaration of the state of Israel, but then also lived through what was one of the bloodiest wars that Israel ever fought, the War of Independence. 6,500 men, women, and children were killed. Now keep in mind how many Jews lived in the Yishuv in 1948-49, about 600,000 people. So try to do that math. Apropos England or the United States, how many casualties that would amount to. This was a fledgling brand new country straight out of the ashes of the Holocaust in 1945, World War II ends. And here they come now and fight one of the bloodiest wars. Rabbi Uziel lived through all of that. To him, the very sight of somebody donned in a uniform. I have to tell you that this morning, after a few weeks, I told you that both my son and daughter-in-law were drafted and were in the war. And our daughter-in-law, she had a break. And this morning, she had to go back. And for the last few weeks, I've seen her as Kayla, Elon's wife, without uniform. And this morning, when we went a block away where the, where, the, where they live, to pick her up, to take her back to her base. And I see her again wearing the IDF uniform. It brought chills and tears. It's a very moving sight to see these young men and women wear this uniform and be involved in a war to defend the country in 1948 and 2023. It was a very moving sight. Some of you may have seen the soldiers who in Gaza lit the Hanukkah in Gaza City. These are magnificent sites. These are historic events. Rabbi Uziel, when he stood in Hanukkah 1948, let's contemplate what Hanukkah 1948 was. Hanukkah 1948 was the very first celebration of Hanukkah in the newly declared sovereign state of Israel. We celebrated recently Israel's 75th anniversary. Let's count May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Israel was seven months old in 1948. I think back to my father, Zichon Adivracha, who came from Morocco, uh, left Morocco in 1946, went to Paris, uh, went to France, and on May 14, 1948, he actually saw somebody, he was on the metro in Paris, and he saw somebody holding a newspaper opposite him. And in French, he saw the headline. It was an afternoon paper that said, The state of Israel is born. My father got off the metro, took the metro in the other direction, and went to the building of the Sochnut, the Jewish agency. Already saw a long line of volunteers that wanted to go and fight for Israel. He was one of them, came here, and he fought in the War of Independence. He was in the Palmach. I don't know if my father was at this address that I'm about to read excerpts of to you, but he may as well have been, because who was Rabbi Uziel speaking to? My father and all of the IDF soldiers of 1948. For Rabbi Uziel to see an IDF soldier was to say, What an incredible miracle to see before my eyes. And so when Rabbi Uziel said that we can make, one can make the second blessing over the public lighting of the menorah because we're publicizing the miracle, he says, what are we publicizing? What's the miracle of Hanukkah? Jewish sovereignty, Jewish independence, a Jewish government, and a military that defends us, like the Maccabees then, the Maccabees of today. And here are excerpts that I'm going to read to you that I translated and I titled, you know, there was no title to this address. I titled it Hanukkah 1948. Think about that for a moment. Here we are in Hanukkah 2023, in the midst of one of the bloodiest wars after the bloodiest day since the pogroms of the Holocaust. 
Last week, I had the privilege of visiting Kibbutz Kfar Aza. That is the kibbutz that sits on the border between Gaza, the fence that was infiltrated by the Hamas terrorists, Yemach Shemam. I was privileged to be taken there together with my wife and daughter to visit that site. Prior to that visit, we were taken to visit uh, the home of Yaniv Yaakov. Yaniv Yaakov's brother, Yair Yaakov, is currently a hostage in Gaza. Yair Yaakov's partner, his they're not married, but his wife of many years, his partner of many years, he's divorced. He has two boys. Those two boys were also hostages, as was uh, his partner of many years, Merav Tal. They were released during the, the wife, Merav, his partner, and the two boys, his two sons, were all released during that week of the ceasefire. When we visited the home of Yaniv Yaakov, the brother, we had no idea who was waiting there for us. We thought we were going to visit the brother on our way to Kibbutz Gaza. We came in, and who was sitting there? Some other family members, amongst them, Merav Tal who was a hostage for 53 days in Gaza. We sat with her for two hours. From there, we went to Kibbutz Gaza, Far Aza, to see the sights of what happened there on that day. I was just discussing this earlier tonight. You would need millions of dollars and the most creative set designers to recreate a Hollywood set like this. It's surreal. The damage that was wrought was is just unfathomable it's I, I, it's traumatizing to see what was what happened and this was just in one kibbutz don't forget this happened and also kibbutz Be'eri and in near oz and in Sderot and all those areas so here in the backdrop of the holocaust itself which rabbi uziel by the way i would love at another point to talk about maybe around Yom HaShoah to talk about Rabbi Uziel's very, very, very unique relationship to the Shoah as expressed through the most powerful addresses that were delivered in this country, call it what you will, Palestine, Eretz Israel, throughout the war years, from 1918 when the pogroms happened in Ukraine, all the way through 1939 at the outbreak of the war, and throughout he, Rabbi Uziel delivered some of the most powerful addresses of the Shoah, which have yet to have been translated. I translated five of them this past summer, currently editing them to hopefully be issued sometime around Yom HaShoah this year. Listen to this address that Rabbi Uziel gave. For him, in the backdrop of all of this, of the October 7th of then, that lasted not one day, but for six years, the Shoah, and in the rise after, and in the midst of a bloody war, Here's what he said to the soldiers. He stood in front of heroes, history, and he says, this year marks the first time that we are celebrating Hanukkah and lighting Hanukkah candles in memory of the Maccabean victories, past and present, with such a unique feeling of freedom and redemption. Back in the days of the Maccabees, as well as today, we experienced the rise of tremendous enemies who outnumbered us, whose goal was to uproot us from our land and wipe out our hope for redemption. 2,500 years ago and again today, our people and all the nations of the world have witnessed the miraculous wonder that we state in the Hanukkah prayer, that with great compassion, God stood by our soldiers in the time of their distress, championed their cause, judged their claim, avenged their wrong, delivered the strong into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the fewer, few, the impure into the hands of the pure, the wicked into the hands of the righteous, and the arrogant into those who were engaged in the study of Torah. That's the Allah Nisim that we read in the Amidah and Birkat Amazon. Then he goes on and listen to this. He says, Praised be you, our mighty soldiers and heroes, who armed yourselves with faith and heroism and renewed with splendor the acts of the ancient Maccabees. Praised be our sacred fallen heroes who fell in defense of this recent war of redemption, 
who with their blood redeemed our land and our inheritance. May their memories forever be a blessing and may their souls be bound up in the bond of eternal life together with all of our nation's righteous souls and heroes from all past generations. This year's Hanukkah, he says, marks a double celebration where we have blended the memories of our past with the great vision of our independence today. This year, the Hanukkah candles illuminate our souls and inspire us to come closer to God in the Torah, here in our liberated land of Israel. This year, the Hanukkah candles inspire us to continue redeeming our holy land and our sacred city of Jerusalem, where together we will one day light the pure flames of the menorah in our holy Bet HaMikdash, in our temple. He concludes by saying one more paragraph. To you, our heroic soldiers, when I read this, it brings me chills because I can picture him standing at that fence at the border of Gaza as the soldiers, when my son a month ago was about to roll into Gaza, I could hear him saying this, not just on Hanukkah, but on any day. He says, to you, our heroic soldiers, I say, may be blessed with strength and with courage. Be strengthened. Remember, who said that to whom originally? Was said by God to Joshua, the first military leader, if you will, of the Jewish people who led the entry and the conquest of Eretz Israel, right, into the land of Israel. He told them, and then again in the next verse, have strength and have courage. Rabbi Uziel says to our soldiers, I say, be strengthened, and through you and your heroism, the whole house of Israel will be strengthened to continue marching ahead with bravery and courage, with hope and with faith, all in the spirit of our sacred path. May we see the day when God will help rid us of all enemies so that we may be illuminated by the bright flames of eternal redemption for our land and our sacred sites, when together we will give thanks to God. Hallelujah. And that's how he ended this historic address to the original IDF, 1948. You could take his words and not change one letter and read it again in 2023. Five weeks ago, or five days ago, on the first day, whenever Hanukkah that started on Thursday evening, the same words can be pronounced. So here we have it, Rabbi Uziel. Shows us what a leader is. Says there's a big gathering of people in Tel Aviv. Is the lighting of the menorah in Tel Aviv just a symbolic act, or does it have some sort of halachic force major? He says it does. It is Pirsuma Denisa. And he says, why? Because here we finally get to publicize the miracle. What miracle was he talking about? The same miracle that Maimonides, the Rambam, was talking about. The miracle of independence. This is what he saw, Rabbi Uziel. This is what his own eyes saw and witnessed. And that's why his words are so relevant and meaningful for us today. This is only a small piece of his teachings, Hanukkah. He has such a wide range of ideas. He was the author of two volumes of philosophy called Hegione Uziel, where he talked about blending the ideas of the Rambam and together with some of the other great thinkers from the Middle Ages and blending rationalism of philosophy and the mysticism of Kabbalah and creating something new for this generation. He's a role model for us to look up to. We still have a few nights of Hanukkah. I hope and pray during these nights that you will uh, take the opportunity to be strengthened by his words. I know that everyone, wherever we are, have your hearts and minds on what's going on here, on our soldiers, on our civilians, on everything that's taking place here in this land of Israel today. And take strength, as he said, be strong and be of courage. Uh, I believe Rabbi Uziel's words are um, words of encouragement, and they're also words that 
soothe us and give us the opportunity to uh, take strength and to be courageous and to be proud of being Jewish. When we walk by and we see the Hanukkah, when I see it displayed anywhere, you know, uh, I'll just conclude with this story. People see things all over Israel. You know, I've been everywhere that I've gone, walked around. Want a video of this? You want a video of this? When do you go to Barnes & Noble and see a Hanukkah lighting? Only if they're going to announce it and everybody's coming. I happened to be in the Barnes & Noble of Israel the other night in Stimatsky, uh, not because anything was announced. I was book shopping. And then I turn around and I hear the Hanukkah candles being lit and people singing. A couple of people walked in. They brought them in Ora and they started to sing and they started to learn. We all joined in. Um but also, there, there is a very, very famous uh, children's show uh, that was very popular here during the 1980s. It was called the Hakeves Hashishasa, the 16th Lamb. It's a famous book, an album. And, uh, you know, older kids like us uh, wanted to go back and hear that music. And they had a Hanukkah uh, um, performance of it at the Habima Theater. And it was a little bit of a modernized version of it with, uh, you know, a different story, but it was fun to hear the music. Most of the audience were parents and grandparents with their children. Um, I, uh, I, there were, there was one, there was, um, my wife went, Penny, together with her daughter and uh, her daughter brought her kid brother and my wife brought her little son. That's me. I was a little kid who was very excited to be there. I brought the book, Celebration. But what was beautiful about it, right? Here you are in this holiday show. And before anything, they came out with a big, beautiful Hanukkah with the candles there. And one of the actors said, children, let's all sing together. And the whole audience, people with kipot, people without kipot, old and young, they all recited the brachot together. They all chanted Shasanisim Labotenu. They all chanted Maos Tzur Hanerot Halalu. How heartwarming. And I, I was thinking when I was sitting there that what Rabbi Uziel was talking about, the public lighting of the menorah, I was about maybe five, ten minutes away from where I was sitting yesterday where this happened. So here it is again. We see his message continuing. We see the Hanukkah lights having tremendous meaning for all of us. So I want to wish you with the continuation of this beautiful holiday as the lights increase every night and we light the eighth night and it becomes so beautiful and so illuminating. May it illuminate your hearts, your souls. Uh, Am Israel, wherever we are, where it protect you wherever you are in the diaspora and here in Israel, may the lights protect us and inspire us to continue on our path of Torah and mitzvot, of good deeds, ma'asim tovim, love of Israel and love of the Jewish people. So Hanukkah Sameach, everyone. It was a great honor and privilege uh, to be with all of you. And uh, I look forward uh, to being part of it more. I will join the WhatsApp group with pleasure. And, um, it was a great honor to be here, and uh, I want to also um, acknowledge Rabbi Dweck's wonderful work uh, that he's done from Brooklyn to, to London uh, to, to creating really a whole world of Sephardic Judaism to revive that message, the teachings of Rabbi Uziel and so many other Chachamim, which here as a final word to everyone, as I said to rabbis in our Bet Midrash, I taught last Thursday in the old city of Jerusalem, and I told them, when we want to teach the Sephardic message today, it's not just to teach it to Sephardim. We want our Sephardim, our communities, to be inspired. But we believe that what Rabbi, what I just read to you and taught to you about Rabbi Uziel, this is for Am Yisrael. It's for the Jewish people. It's for everybody. It's for all Jews. That's what I believe. I know that that's what the members of the Chabura believe when they bring that spread these beautiful teachings in such beautiful ways the new book that they published now that i'd love to get a copy of sounds fascinating and uh that's what rabbi uziel believed that this kind of torah of unity of inspiration of positive encouragement of halacha that has meaning and engages the community to and inspires and encourages the community to want to observe 
halacha in a meaningful way, to study Torah in an inspirational way. Rabbi Uziel meant this, the call am Israel for the entire Jewish people. So to, in his spirit, I wish all of you a beautiful and continued uh, Hanukkah filled with a lot of light. Thank you so much, and Hanukkah Sameach. Thank you so much, Rav. Uh, such a beautiful and inspiring message. I'm literally getting messages now, people demanding you back. So, Bejat Hashem, we'll have you many times going forward. Honor. And uh, we are learning today, Bezichut, for our soldiers and for our hostages and for our entire people. Amen. And Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Amen. Amen.